like a boss. What do you think most people do wrong when they try to dress like a boss? Where is the fine line when we think of being more sustainable and conscious? Du som är nyfiken på att utveckla dina skills som chef och ledare. Du har kommit helt rätt. Välkommen in i samtalet. Välkomna till ännu ett avsnitt av Like Boss-podden. Jag måste bara säga kort, Pia Ragnadotter är inte med mig idag. Hon har fått ett nytt jobb som kommunikationschef. Men i studion har jag med mig Karen Vogle. She is EVP, Product and Design at Gantt. And this will be the first Like a Boss podcast in English. Karen, I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you so much. And how exciting, your first English podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how this goes. I will work with you on oh, this. It's, you. it's a team effort, Daniel. Team. No worries. I'm so glad you are with me in this. So, today we're going to talk about fashion, design, how to dress like a boss, but also about sustainability yes. and, and some more quite serious questions, of course. And, and um, we'll get into that but first and foremost what do you think most people do wrong mm. when they try to dress mm. like a boss mm. so i'm not the expert but i have a lot of opinions on go this. for it i think that oftentimes the mindset that people have is that oh i'm a boss i'm an evp or i'm somebody that's really going to be having to make an impression in front of a lot of people sometimes they feel they have to scale back or tone down their own individual personality so the old stereotypes of oh i'm a boss I need to wear a suit and tie. Uh, those days are no longer. And I personally feel that those days are no longer, regardless of the industry that you work in. Now, my husband and I often uh, battle this back and forth because that's easy for me to say. I work in the fashion industry where pretty much anything goes. But I also feel if you are a banker, if you're a CFO, if you're a sales rep, if you're a teacher... There's no need to be very conservative today. Now, mm. of course, it depends on the audience that you're working with or that you're speaking to or that you're trying to influence. But I personally like to see somebody throw in a little bit more of their own individual personality and in how they dress. And for anybody who knows you, Daniel, you definitely dress to suit your personality. Thank you, Karen. About that, so how much should you dress to express yourself and how much should you think about who you're meeting Mm. Like who you dress for, in a sense. Uh, well, again, that depends on your personality. I think that there needs to be a balance of the two. But there's a few key expressions that we've probably heard a million times. And the first one being, you do not get second chances to make a good first impression. True that. Yeah. And that expression comes in many shapes and forms, but that's the reality of the world we live in, whether we want to admit it or not. The second, I think it's somewhere between 12 to 70 seconds I've read, that you make the first impression or you get your first impression when you're individually meeting somebody. And you want to make sure that that expression that you are putting forward is a reflection of who you really are as a person. And if you're trying to please others... So back to your question, how much do you please yourself versus somebody else? If you're trying to dress to impress others and you're not feeling your best self, it's going to be a belly flop. It's as easy as that because when you feel your best, you look your best and that's you right, perform yeah. your best. And I'm really a true believer in that. So that's when it becomes true that just really be yourself mm -hmm. and in one sense believe in what you're wearing. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think we all have our own style 
standard uniforms. I am absolutely the the more casual jeans and t-shirt type of gal. I'm a very casual dressed person. Of course, I love to uh, dress up on occasion. And as I've said, I love accessories. And sometimes I think also as individuals, even if you're a fashionista, uh, sometimes you get caught in your own uniform. Mm -hmm. So it's I like to solicit feedback from others. You know, if I see somebody that has a really good sense of style that I like, I might also ask them like, okay, how do you think that I could jazz up my dress code? Because it's also good to challenge yourself and to step out of your comfort zone a little, or it could be a lot. Again, it's dependent on the occasion and who you're engaging with. Why does fashion keep having such an impact on us? Okay, I thought you were going to have some simple questions today, but obviously not. Well, I think, again, it comes back to uh, human nature. I mean, obviously, everybody likes to feel their best, look their best. And, well, unless we all start uh, being nudists around the globe, I mean, obviously, apparel and clothing play a huge factor in looking and feeling your best. And given the cycles that we've seen over the last decades and the trends and influencers and how the consumer today, how you as an individual, how I as an individual actually play a role in what types of products are put on the market, that's fuel on a fire for people such as us. And I think that once that fuel is there, and of course you have companies and brands that they make a lot of money off that, which sure, that's a great thing for companies, but it also will come back to where is the fine line when we think of being more sustainable and conscious as a community and also as an individual. So on that topic, when mm-hmm. it comes to sustainability, a new UN report shows that the clothing industry is letting out more greenhouse gases than the flight industry and the sea industry together. This is horrible. Mm. How are you thinking, working, have been working uh, for the last five, six years in the fashion industry? I know you're talking mm. a lot about it, trying to do things. Tell yeah. us. I mean, even when you, you state that, I mean, it's still shocking. You read about it, you hear about it all the time and about how, you know, we are, as consumers are continually being a, a huge part of the environment and the disasters that we are seeing. And even as an individual who's working in the fashion industry and loving my job, it's a double-edged sword to know that you are an active part of that. However, um, it also is a really great feeling to know that you're working for a company where this is something that we want to make active choices, conscious choices to do the best that we can on a journey to improve. And for Ghent, this is something that is very important for us as many other brands. There's no doubt that some people may feel that sustainability, it's, you know, it's the buzzword that we've been hearing for many years now. But there is so much that we can do as brands and so much that we can do as individuals, Daniel, to make a positive change. Yeah, because because there's always this question and tension between, okay, the companies and the producers of clothes is it them that should go at the forefront or is it us as customers exactly. that should go at the forefront are you waiting as it's an industry else's or problem. yeah and that's actually been uh, one of my revelations over the last 5 years in joining Gantt is i kind of had that mindset and i hate to admit it that you know all of the problems that we had seen with the environment 
it was somebody else's problem. It was, you know, big, big companies that were really feeding into this. And then when I actually started working with product and really understanding the mechanisms behind it and how we contribute to destroying our environment as well, then I started to also think as myself, okay, not only as, as a consumer, again, as a consumer, what am I doing? Because as I mentioned earlier, I am that ultimate consumer. I love to shop. I love the latest trends. I love product. But I've also made a lot of individual, personal, conscious choices to buy less. I mean, in some essences, there's simple things. And this is really something that are my tip to my son, his friends, to family and friends. There's so many simple things that we as consumers can do. First and foremost, continue to wear what you have in your closet. You know, again, every time I try to clean up my closet, I'm like, oh, I don't want to get rid of that. I know it's going to come back in style. And I'm glad that I've kind of had that mindset because things do come back in style. Oh, yeah. And the best way to actually help our environment is to reuse what we already have. Now, in order to reuse something that you've had a number of years, you need to be buying quality because, yeah. hey, fast fashion, it's been on the rise. It's continuing to be to some extent on the rise. But if you're buying a lot of fast fashion products, you're buying it at a cheaper price. So you're not going to get that durability out of it. And that was really one of the great things that I came to learn with Gantt. Okay, great. I started to work with a company and work more with fashion. But Gantt has always been known as being a very high-end premium brand. That in itself is being a sustainable brand because we are creating product that are intended to last a long time. So again, continuing to build upon that, but also as consumers to be more aware. We can't continue to say, it's not our fault. It's not our problem. Somebody else has to fix it. You can do things both from an individual perspective and also from a brand perspective. I was reading that consumerism is not enough to just buy eco-friendly clothes. No, the, absolutely not. The big not. problem is that we just buy far, Consumption far too much. Is, excessive. It's, it's excessive. And And that is one of the major problems. And I can even tell you from Ghent, over the last five to seven years, one of the key priorities that we have had is reducing our assortment size. So six years ago, we used to offer an assortment of 13,000 options on a large season. So for fall, winter, or spring, summer, that is a huge assortment, I can tell you. And today we're at approximately 3,000. So it's a massive difference. It's a huge difference. And that's been a conscious choice. And you can imagine being a global brand, every market wants their own individual styles and pieces. But that's something where we've said, no, we, we want to make sure that we are not wasting money and polluting the environment on product that we have very low volumes on. So that has been one strategic journey for us. And we will continue to look at where we can reduce that and also looking at how can we reuse the existing material that we've been sat on so there's so many things that we can do when it comes to how we play a role with sustainability and more conscious choices as a brand so a couple of quick questions hmm? and you just answer no um, thought behind one it. or the other hmm? yes suit or sweatpants suit hat or beanie hat Dr. Martens or high heels? High heels. Trousers or skirt? Trousers. Shirt or blouse? Shirt. Worn vintage look or more proper new look? Worn vintage any day of the week. Beard or no beard? Mm, 
beard. Oh, yeah. Come on, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Trick question. So I'm going to describe briefly a famous person and you tell us the name. Mm, unless it's a fashionista, I'm not going to get this, but okay. Tech genius who was famous for always wearing blue jeans and an ugly black polo. Is this not Steve Jobs? This is Steve Jobs. Fantastic. Okay. Woo, famous artist, singer, musician mm-hmm. from New York. Known for wearing a scarf that's way too big. And he's actually, he's ended up on lots of lists of the most uh, handsome and well-dressed, probably sexiest men alive. Who could that be? Okay. This is, uh, this is stumping me. Oh, uh, oh, from Aerosmith. No? No. The one I'm talking about is... Lenny Kravitz. Oh, yes, of course. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, your hockey skills. Swedish NHL goalie. He landed on the sixth spot on the Sports Illustrated Top 50 Best Dressed List. He's also running his own clothing brand. What's his name? I have no idea. Henrik Lundqvist. Oh, and he's a cutie too. Yeah, he's a cutie. I should have known him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Pop Queen, who launched Ivy Park to help women look and feel like a queen while working out or just hanging out. Holla, Beyonce. Beyonce, okay. So that's two out of four. That's actually pretty good. So well done. Applause mm, here next in the Next time studio. I want them all to be fashion related. Okay, sorry Please. about that. Thank you. I tried. <laughs> yeah, you did well, actually. I should study more. You're not born in Sweden. No, You've I'm lived not. here yes. for quite some years. 16 years. 16 years. And you're from Canada. I'm from Canada. Uh, Newfoundland. Very yeah. special part of Canada. So you joined the company Gantt in mm-hmm. 2014 with a role within the IT department. Yes. And now you're executive vice president product and design in only like five, six years. Incredible. How did that happen? How did that happen? Please tell us the story. Amazing, amazing journey. Uh, I cannot praise Ghent enough and I'm not here to praise Ghent, but I can tell you that my journey over the last five years has been tremendous. Uh, my background is computer science. That was my education. I didn't do it because I had a passion for IT or for computer science, but that's where the jobs were many, 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 many years ago when yeah. I was going to university. And obviously, I felt if I'm going to spend many years uh, studying something, I want to have a good job. Very quickly, after finishing university, I realized, or I should say my boss realized, hmm, maybe sat behind the computer doing coding is not really the best suited job for you. So I then started working more as a consultant and working with customers and still on IT projects. So when I went into Ghent, I was responsible for the project management office. We had a large number of IT-related projects, and that was my main role. But when I had joined Ghent, uh, the manager who bought me on board, I used to work with. And we kind of had an agreement that, okay, if I leave HP, at some point I want to move closer to product. Now, never in a million years did I envision that I would be responsible for product and design. Uh, So again, set your sights on anything you want out there because anything is possible. But it really was when we had, uh, it was our CMO officer at the time, uh, Brian Gravy. He had joined. I had never met him before. I had seen him at a presentation and I loved his energy. Uh, he's just, uh, you know, he walks in a room and he has a presence like no other. And I knocked on his door one day and introduced myself. And I said, you have no idea who I am. You probably have no idea uh, as to what my skill sets are. Uh, and I have 
really no idea what I can do for you and your organization, but I want to work for you. And that's how it started. Um, that's was, a bold move. It, it was a bold move, but I can tell you with this guy, he's very approachable. Yeah. And it just kind of snowballed from there. He was looking to do organizational changes. Uh, he saw my passion and drive. And I think that regardless of any role you're in today, regardless of your experience, if you have the passion and willingness to learn Anything is possible. And he gave me that opportunity in a role that was called concept to consumer. So you were time. willing to, to risk a little bit. I mean, you, you left something, mm-hmm. um, you left HP, mm-hmm. you left uh, a whole industry that you knew and where you My had... entire uh, comfort yeah, zone. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You were willing to, to go in and, and risk that. Yes. But you had a drive and a passion. That's I did, a but I was also example. scared. You know, when I approached him, again, I was ready to take on something new. And I also didn't know what that was. And I was 45 at the time, Daniel. I mean, you know, kind of at that point in many of our lives where you think, okay, am I looking to scale up or scale down? I mean, projects and PMO was something that I really knew and I knew well. Uh, of course, there is always room for improvement when it comes to projects, but I was ready to take on something new. But I was also scared. Okay, now what have I done? I've gone knocking on this guy's door and I've really shown that I want to do something. And when he gave me the opportunity, I was like, I absolutely will put in 500% to make sure that I do not let him down. And it's just he's continued to give me opportunity upon opportunity and very grateful for that. And my journey has been amazing. Fantastic. And so you talk about passion, about drive. Mm -hmm. How do you convey that? How do you build that culture around you today? For me, I feel that it comes quite easily. Now, of course, you'd probably have to ask my organization if they feel the same. But I'm naturally a very energetic, uh, glass-half-full type of person. I've always been that way. And we were just discussing before we started the podcast, I'm absolutely somebody that works best under pressure with a lot to do. And that natural energy, it's not something that I have to force upon myself. You know, I very seldom have to get out of bed and say, okay, Karen, get it together and, you know, get energy. I I wake up excited about going to work. I love my colleagues. I love my job. So it comes very genuinely or authentically for me. And of course, it depends. Again, I have an organization of about 60 to 65 people, and there's different personalities and different characters. So I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, And I've also learned to engage differently with different personalities. Mm. Uh, But I like to think, and the feedback has also been from my organization, that they appreciate the drive and passion that I put forward. And they see that it is genuine from my behalf, and I really do want to work with them. Sure, I'm a boss, but I also love to be a team player and I think that when your team see that and also your peers see that it's you know something that they also want to be part of If you read your website, um, you read about your journey to sustainability, you talk about never stop learning, Mm -hmm. your never stop learning credo. And it says it's how we educate ourselves and act on our ethical environment and social responsibilities. Yes. Um, So your journey, how do you personally work with yourself, your staff to stay Mm -hmm. sharp, to 
keep a credo like this? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, again, any industry that you work in today, never stop learning is, to some extent, the essence of our day-to-day grind. The world is changing around us, and that is the only constant, actually, that we see. So although that is our credo, and we talk a lot about never stop learning, I don't personally feel that that's something that is a conscious decision that we're having to take because we are a very fast-paced company. Our designers, how we work with product, again, we are not edgy or fashion forward where preppy American sportswear we're very classic timeless pieces but we also know that we need to be relevant for today's consumer so that's continually a discussion on okay we need to make sure that we do more and we continually change up the classic pieces that we have so it's quite daunting when you see the long journey until we have a sustainable clothing industry mm-hmm. uh, what are the things that you think we in the midst of all this mm-hmm. not to just you know, see the dark and gloom stuff. Mm. Is there anything? And if so, what can we celebrate? I think we should celebrate the fact that we are even talking about this during the podcast and that there are so many TED Talks, podcasts, people talking about more conscious choices. Again, whether it's around the board table or the dinner table, it's a topic and it's not something that people are having to remind themselves of. It's really becoming at the forefront. Top of mind. It's top of mind. So I think that that itself, you know, deserves a cheer. It would have been better if it started much earlier when looking at uh, when it really became at the forefront of people's minds. But hey, we are where we are. I love to use the expression all the time, chunk up the elephant. Because again, when you think of how you as an individual or how brands, you know, where do we start? It's so huge. And, you know, how do we even start to show a positive step forward? Chunk it up. As I've just stated, it could be small things such as continuing to make sure that you offer premium product that lasts a long time. You look at reusing the material or that you as a consumer, that you're not just throwing away and continuing to consume. Think more about what you're buying. Do I really need another white T-shirt? And I think that fact that more individuals and not only our generation, Daniel, but all generations are talking about how they can uh, do more for the environment. Uh, I know even in my household, you know, recycling is very important. I mean, it's it's just part of my son's DNA. It's not something that we really needed to educate him on. It was just how he was raised. And I think all of those baby steps... They're baby steps, but they're steps in the right direction. So the question is in the air. Do you have to choose between fashion and environment? How do you do it? Mm. I think that that question, it can be answered from two different sides. So when it comes to from a brand perspective or from a consumer perspective. So from a brand perspective, I think that you do need to choose as a brand. And actually, it wasn't even something that we needed to discuss. We absolutely felt we're a very authentic brand. We want to do good. That's been in our DNA with us since 1949. So sustainability has been something that, okay, we. it's not a matter of should we? do it. It was, what are we doing and what is our roadmap and how do we really make sure that this is at the forefront? Uh, But again, not all brands are maybe thinking that way. And if they're not, well, I think they'll be closing doors in the near future because consumers today will not accept anything other than that. The awareness of this issue is is huge, especially among young people, but everyone. Absolutely. And we've just started or consumers have just really even started to have a voice when it comes to sustainability. So as a consumer, you're talking about the brands now. And Mm -hmm. as a consumer, do I have to choose between fashion and sustainability? 
I absolutely do not think that you need to choose one or the other. What you can do is be more aware when you're taking decisions on what products you're buying or what products you feel that you want to get rid of. You know, and it's, again, it's simple things. If you are looking at, hey, I want to clean out my wardrobe and I have too much or it doesn't fit any longer, make sure it does not go to a landfill. Make sure that you give back to the environment. You give it to goodwill. That's the best thing that you can do with existing product that any individual is owning. And when it comes to buying more, because again, many consumers, not all consumers, but many consumers do like to consume and they do like to buy product, but be more aware of the products that you're buying. And particularly when it comes to every individual has classic timeless pieces in their wardrobe, whether it's that blazer or a chino or your favorite pair of denim or your your basic white shirt, make sure that those classic pieces are premium pieces that will last you longer than if you were to buy the cheap version. Yeah, so think twice before you buy something new. Maybe you should revisit something that you've had for a while. Absolutely. And I I can say that's something that I have really personally tried to do. And as much as I've stated now several times I love to shop, I've become so much better at really having a little mental conversation with myself when I'm in the change room. Do I really need this? Is this something that I must have in my wardrobe? And uh, I would say probably seven times out of ten these days, I'm answering, no, I don't, which also makes me feel good. You know, when I'm leaving, I'm thinking, you know, tapping myself on the shoulder. Good for you, Karen. You made the right choice. Celebrate that. Yeah. No, but I I think you're absolutely right. So, So in that sense, you can't both have the cake and eat it. You you have to do something about it. Absolutely. Uh, because overconsumption, it has to end. It has to end. What do you see in terms of sustainability in 10 years from now? Well, I'm very optimistic when I think of sustainability in 10 years' time. Uh, I truly believe that it's going to be a non-topic at least for brands and also for consumers, that uh, we're all going to get our shit together, if I can say that. And it's just going to be part of our normal day-to-day grind. And it's part of everyone's DNA that uh, we only do good for the environment and that everybody is holding hands on that journey. So how, as a manager, I might not work in the fashion industry, Mm. how should I promote, do you think, uh, live with and promote a sustainable lifestyle? Mm. First and foremost, walk the talk, as they like to say. So, you know, it's very... uh it's very unauthentic to preach to somebody about, you know, you should really think twice about going out and consuming more when you're also coming in saying, oh, look at the amazing new jacket that I just bought on the weekend. So it's just subtle things, you know, oftentimes in the office, because we do talk a lot about fashion in the office, I hear so often, I may give a compliment to a colleague, oh, I absolutely love that jacket or that blazer. Where did you get that? Oh, I pulled it out of my own personal archive, or I've bought it from a secondhand store on the weekend. It's those types of things that as a leader, if you are actually uh, also doing as you're preaching, others respect that and they follow. It's pretty simple. I feel really good because this jacket is probably a couple of years, but this vest Mm. is probably 15 years. Mm. But I love it. And And it's still very relevant. And the shirt is probably 30 years because it's from a second-hand shop. Sustainability (laughs) Sustainability. sitting right across from me. You're a manager, you're a boss, Mm. you need to make your goals, you've got pressure from above, you've got Mm. pressure from underneath, you've got pressure from society. How do you handle pressure as a leader? Mm. I think that when it comes to being a leader, there's certain things that also just need to come naturally. I don't wake up every day thinking, 
you know, how am I going to handle the situation today? I have a genuine passion for leading people, for being a boss. And I like to think that I also have very strong values as an individual. Forget the work side of it, but, you know, I really have some strong core values that I try to live by as a person. And having a strong compass that I feel comfortable with, that makes it very natural for me to be a a natural leader and to feel confident that the choices or the direction or the guidance that I'm giving to my team is the right decision. But I'm also very open to feedback. So, you know, you need to listen to consumers. I need to listen to what the market's feedback is. I need to listen to my team. I'm only as good as my team. So I think, again, that being a leader and being a boss, sure, there's a lot of pressure associated with that, but you also need to make sure that you're continually, it's a two-way street and that you're not only sat on your own little pedestal, uh, you know, thinking that you're the queen or the king of the world. Although... Above your door, you've got something, what does it say, a sign? I have a sign in my office that says, Lady Boss. Lady Boss. Yes, given to me from my brother and very appropriate. I love being a boss. I'm not always the boss. Sometimes, you know, everybody also has a boss. And uh, sometimes my team can also boss me because, you know, I'm not always right. Never stop learning. Even as a boss, that's something that we all need to be very humble about. So a lot of people, new statistics say that 73% of managers in Sweden, Mm -hmm. they experience unmanageable stress Mm -hmm. levels. How do you let out steam? How do you handle stress? Well, I don't have a very good poker face. And anybody who knows me, I'm not really, I'm quite vocal. So if I'm not happy or if I have something to say, I feel quite comfortable in expressing myself regardless of if it's with my boss or the rest of the management team or with peers or with the team. So I think that that's also very important. You can still have an opinion and release negative energy, but in a very professional way. And that's something that I also encourage my team to also do. Uh, And of course, I also try to stay fit, try to stay active. And I have a fantastic family at home that supports me. So I think... It's finding that balance. And, you know, you also hear people talk a lot about the work-life balance. And it's it varies per individual. And I feel that I have a very strong work-life balance. You talk about values. Mm-hmm. You talk about, you, you mentioned the word compass. Mm-hmm. I just spoke to somebody recently and, and the person said sort of like, I sort of lost my bearings in the compass. I didn't know which way I was supposed to go. And, and really, my values and all that is sort of... I got confused mm. how do you synchronize how do you how do you make sure that you uh, reboot your compass mm. it's interesting you ask me that since i've just literally two days ago returned home from vacation to my homeland in canada and with all of my family and for me individually that's how i really stay rooted and remind myself of what my true compass is. Again, it varies per individual, but family is a, a huge part of my life. And of course, being a foreigner, living in a, in another country, and of course, also having a high-stress job and wanting to do well and to perform and to overachieve, they're all factors that sometimes can lead you astray from your your default compass or your values. So for me, when I go back home and I'm surrounded by, you know, a, a more wider extension of my family, that really roots me and it your gives roots, me extra energy. You remember who you are. Yeah. I mean, it sounds a little corny, but for me, that really does. It's It's been a huge part of my life. And... Uh, 
I'm very proud of the values that I have, and I see that come alive in my son. And I think that those are the things that when you when you do feel astray, you need to take the time. And I know that it's easier said than done because, you know, time is really a valuable asset these days. But as soon as you start to feel, mm, I'm not feeling my true self or I don't really know what my values are, you need to take time to reflect and find out who you are because it can go downhill very fast. Totally. So good. Thank you so much for for that as well. I think we all need to look at that mm-hmm. now and then. Yeah. Remind ourselves. It's okay to, you know, take a step back, but it's important to, you know, take that time. So you moved from very bold step from the IT tech industry mm-hmm. to the fashion industry. Yes. Um, you said you were always, you weren't suitable yes. to be stuck behind a computer to, to just do coding. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to somebody that 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 is still stuck coding if you if mm. you see the picture uh, not that the coders are, are are doing but but if you're not doing what you're supposed to do mm. what good tips do you have uh, first tip would be ask yourself truly and really don't give yourself a lot of thought behind the answer what is your passion if you're not happy with coding or whatever your job may be what is your true passion And once you've answered that, then you kind of ask, okay, what jobs could or would be suitable that are at least related to what my passion is? Because if you're going to be waking up every day for many days doing the same thing, you need to love it. And as I've stated, I was 45 when I did my last biggest change. It was the best decision of my life. You're never too old to teach a dog new tricks. And it's only you who's in charge of your own destiny. So, you know, don't waste time. Don't second guess yourself. Have confidence and just go for it. So, Karen, awesome to have you here today in the studio. It's been amazing. Now I'm, I really want to be a podcast star after well, today, Daniel. After today, you will be. <laughs> this is not the last time you do a podcast. I tell you that much. So, till våra lyssnare, tack så jättemycket för idag. Tack för att ni går in på Likeables podcast där vi finns och likear, ger feedback. Skicka gärna er feedback också via mail till mig på daniel.stenmark@egn. Jag vill också bara belysa ett event som kommer i höst, Like Boss-dagen, där vi har en massa fantastiska personer som kommer att tala. Vi har Sofie Lindblom, en crazy, fantastisk eh, innovatör som också var del av podcasten här i juni såklart. Vi har precis nyligen fått jag och signat Anders Hansen som är sommarpratare. Vi har Mikael Dalen som också kommer att vara talare och Amanda Lundeteg som dessutom kommer att vara gäst i podden. Så håll ögon och öron öppna för biljetter till Like Boss-dagen. Gå in på egensweden.com så finns all info och biljetter att köpa där. Vill du se Karen lite mer in action, se vad hon har på sig etc. så gå gärna in på vår hemsida och kolla på videon. Med det sagt så vill jag bara tacka för idag och vi ses och hörs nästa podcast. Hej! Du har lyssnat på Like a Boss. Podden sponsras av EGN som skapar personlig och professionell utveckling genom förtroliga nätverk. Like a Boss görs av produktionsbolaget Munk. Like